Well, I really hope this week has been kind to you, that um, you're not too, you don't have too much cabin fever, but that you've been able to be creative and find things to do in the comforts of your own home, um, that you've been able to have conversation with maybe neighbors at a safe distance, um, but I hope that it's, that it's been a, although a hard season, I hope that you have indeed been able to find the silver lining in the midst of all this. We don't know how long it's going to last. You know, it could be another week. It could be, you know, months. Who knows? Who knows what the outcome is? It is definitely a season of uncertainty. Uh, definitely a season that for many, it, uh, it kind of takes them the way of, of fear and concern and anxiety. And so I think that the message today will be timely for those of you or those of us that, um, that are more anxious, that are more concerned, that are just, you know, maybe struggling a bit more than some other people. Maybe you look at people and you think, why aren't, why aren't they more concerned about this? You know, not, not that people are throwing caution to the wind or they just don't care, um, but different people deal with these things in different ways. Different people deal with stress and they cope in different ways. So I want to share with you uh, an important and timely message, message today from the book of Matthew, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. So you know that for Austin and I, what we typically do is we preach through books of the Bible. We are aspiring expositors, and uh, so we work through books of the Bible verse by verse. And that's what we've, uh, that's what I've done for years, that's what we've, we've done with Haven Ridge, that's our pattern, that's, uh, that's the way that we do that. But during this season, for a brief moment anyway, we've broken away from the book of John, and we're trying to deal with different texts that we feel will be very timely, very helpful, uh, and will help uh, bring about a, a, a a certain level of security, not promises or security that, oh, you're going to be out of harm's way, but to ensure you, the beloved of Christ, that you absolutely have hope and you don't have reason to fear. You know, this is, I, told you, I showed you last week that that is one of, that is a strong theme throughout the Bible for those who are in Christ or those who are for the Old Testament followers of Yahweh, is you don't have a reason to fear. And so today I hope to build upon that idea that that faith is greater than fear you know that that we can see that so we're going to come from the old testament god new testament gospel of matthew chapter 14 22 through 33 by now you've had enough time to find that and so we're going to get right into that but i want to share with you what my objective is my objective is this i want to show you or to remind you that the presence of christ has the power to eradicate fear or to eliminate to get rid of fear the presence of christ has the power to eliminate fear or to eradicate fear and i get this idea from this specific passage and this is a popular passage ones that one that you would most likely know well if not we're going to become acquainted with it today together and that is when the disciples are in the boat a little bit of a context jesus has just fed the five thousand in the book in the gospel of matthew and he has dismissed those crowds. Jesus has then said to his disciples, go get into the boat and make your way across. Make your way across the water. Now, Jesus did not join them at this time. Jesus went up on top of the mountain to pray for them, or, or, or to pray. Sorry, I heard some commentators or read some commentators make the argument that, that Jesus was praying for the disciples. I, I, I hope that he was. I take great comfort in the fact that I have an, an intercessor, that I have someone that's praying for me and on my behalf right now. And that brings me tremendous comfort. So Jesus is praying on the mountain. The disciples get into the boat, and they start to make their way across the water. So let me read some of the text. Starting in verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and said, it's a ghost, 
And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So you kind of understand the scene. We've set up the context. You've got the disciples in the boat. Jesus has been praying. He's been praying for quite a while. But there's something interesting in the text that helps us, if we understand it, it helps us to get a better picture or to place ourselves in their context. And when we do that, we can better understand the exchange that takes place between the disciples, specifically Peter and Jesus, when he comes to join them. And so you'll notice in the text, it says, now it was the fourth watch. This is verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. He came to them. Let me explain to you how these watches were, were broken up. Okay, so you have uh, the first watch, which took place. This represented the time frame of 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. All right, and you can follow this, right? So the second watch is 9 to 12 a.m., or 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. The third watch is 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. And the fourth watch, which is when Jesus is uh, joining with them, is the fourth watch, which is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So altogether, there's obviously 12 hours. So Jesus had been praying for almost 12 hours. Now, I don't know if it was 3 a.m. when he joined them. It was during the fourth watch watch so you know he had either been praying for nine hours or he'd been praying for 12 hours either way it's a long time but it's not just a long time for him to be praying but it's also a long time for the disciples to be fighting against the wind as they're trying to make their way across the water they had been rowing they had been trying to get across the land but the wind was coming against them and it says that the waves were beating the boat so it was pretty volatile as least as far as i can tell from the biblical description here in these few verses so you can kind of understand they're probably tired they're weary it's been a long time they've been going at this for a minimum of nine hours maybe 12 hours if we understand the first second third and fourth watch accurately and then Jesus is making his way to join them. So you have these men who are weary, these men who are tired, and these men who are afraid. And you've got Jesus who is about to arrive on the scene. And so he says something that's pretty important to them. He approaches the boat. They look out and they see what they believe to be a ghost. And they yell out in fear and Jesus responds. He says, do not be afraid or take courage. Or your translation may say, take heart. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, now, let's stop right there for a second because I'm sure that you and, and most definitely myself are, are no strangers to fear. There are things that, that, that get me rolled up. I'm from the South, so rolled is a word that we use. Um, it gets us worked up. It gets us rolled up. It gets us excited, you know, and, and fearful there are certain things that do that, and, and, and everybody's different in that way. You know, for me, it's, 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 it's heights. I just don't do well with heights. Uh, some of you watching are probably laughing at this point because you're thinking, okay, yeah, that's right, because I've been with him uh, working on a ladder or on a roof or something like that, and you saw uh, me not do so well in that context, uh, which reminds me of, of, of a story just to kind of express to you how fear can grip me at times uh, I work, if you don't know, I work with a construction company here in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, as does Austin. And, uh, and, and, and but, but years ago, I was on a job site alone, and this is a four-story house if you include uh, the basement, which was livable space. And we have these 32-foot extension ladders, and I open this ladder up, not maybe all the way, but enough to where it goes up on this gable end, and I had to get on top of the gable to climb on top to the, to the ridge of the gable in order to paint some trim around a window about 4,000 feet in the air, okay? So I extend this ladder, and I climb up, and, and, and I was okay until I had to make that transition from the ladder to the gable end. Now, this is probably a 10-on-12, if not a 12-on-12 pitch. So it was basically vertical. Don't let anyone tell you different. So I have to step out across... And there's nothing to grab onto. You know, there's, not a, there's, there's no kind of board, there's no tow board, there's nothing. We had finished pretty much the job, and all that was left was some small touch-ups. So I was there by myself having to make this transition from the ladder about 4,000 feet in the air to get on the gable end so that I could scuttle up the gable in order to paint this trim. I couldn't do it. I literally locked up. I couldn't move. 
I really couldn't, and I thought, what am I going to do? I didn't want to call my boss and say, hey, I'm, I'm just a chicken. I can't do it. You know, you're going to have to send somebody out here. That means he would have to take somebody off of their job to come to help me, who's a chicken and can't handle the heights. So I just didn't know what to do. And I promise you, I, I, I don't, very few times in my life have I felt such reprieve, such peace than when on this particular moment as I'm just at my wits end thinking I can't do this I can't do this I'm going to have to bite the bullet and call my boss one of my co-workers his name is is Pete he showed up on the job site just happened to show up and Pete by the way has no problem with heights and I knew this so I said to Pete Pete thank God for you thank God for you I said Pete could you please Please climb up here. I didn't make excuses. I didn't say I had a cramp. I didn't say anything like that. I said, Pete, I'm just locking up. I can't do it. He said, no problem. And he did. He just climbed right up, hopped on up there without giving it a, a, a moment's thought. And he took care of it for me. So when I was reading this story in the scriptures, you know, I, I, I was thinking, okay, I remember a time when I was afraid and I was locked up. You know, and then the reprieve, the, 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 the feeling that came over me when someone came to rescue me from a situation that I had pretty much decided was, was, was a horrible, horrible thing for me to be a part of. And I think of these disciples, I think of them in the boat, I think of them for nine or twelve hours paddling or, or rowing against the wind, when these winds are just whipping across the surface of the water when the waves are beating down the boat they're crashing down and they're just they're just tired and then to see an aberration what they the, the, to see a phantasm or to see what they believe to be a ghost and to uh, to be afraid i can kind of put myself in that situation and maybe many of you can as well thinking of a time that maybe you locked up and maybe you were afraid and maybe that time is even now for you Maybe in the middle of pandemic, maybe in the middle of this crisis, maybe in the middle of uncertainty. Maybe that's your response right now. Maybe you're, 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 you're locking up. Maybe you don't, know, you don't know how to go forward, you know, or maybe you're going backwards. You know, maybe you're going backwards in your faith, in your theology. Maybe you just don't know what to think because you're afraid. And I think if that's the case, this text has so much promise for you, especially if you're in Christ. And so let's continue on through the story. So the disciples are afraid. The disciples are dealing with what they're dealing with. And then Jesus arrives on the scene. And he says, fear not. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. Take heart. You see, there's times to be afraid. There's a healthy fear. The scripture says that we're to fear God. It says, don't fear the one who can kill your body, but fear the one who can kill your body and cast your soul into hell. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of, of wisdom. So there's, there's, an, there's an aspect of fear that is healthy, that is right, and that is proper. But then there's a fear that is not. There's a fear that gives way to distrust and gives way to unbelief. And that's the fear that we're to stay away from. It's a fear that says, I don't really have a Savior that is in control of anything. And, that's, and if that were true, that would be a reason to fear. But the Bible says otherwise again and again and again. I would submit to you that the Holy Spirit of God, inspiring the writers of the Bible, part of the intention was so that you and I could know in such a time as this that we don't have reason for fear, that we have a Savior that is in control of all these things. So there's a healthy fear, but then there's an unhealthy fear. When we give way to unhealthy fear, we need to know this about that fear. First of all, fear is a liar. Fear is not honest. Fear is deceitful. Fear assumes that the battle is lost. Fear assumes that there is no hope. Fear assumes that, or fear disables us. Fear distracts us. And fear sometimes takes us captive. It takes us prisoner. This is a bad fear. This is an unhealthy fear. And Jesus arrives on the scene and he says to them, you don't have a reason to fear. You don't have cause fear because I'm with you because I'm here because I've arrived so let's continue in the text it says that the boat was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and they looked to what they thought was a ghost and they cried out in fear but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying take heart it is I do not be afraid I can't help but see 
the grace of God and that in this moment, in this struggle, that Christ would appear and offer them hope. I just can't overlook such divine grace that probably at the moment in the fourth watch, in the ninth to twelfth hour, they're exhausted. And you know when you're exhausted, your, your, your mental faculties aren't firing like they should and you're, you're, you're more likely to succumb to fear during that time. So of course they're afraid. You've got the elements. You've got them thinking they see a ghost. And then Jesus says, do not be afraid. Such grace that he's given them in the moment of anxiety, in the moment of their concern and their exhaustion that he would put on display for them his divine power. And that's the same thing that we're praying for here is that in this moment of confusion and uncertainty, in this moment of fear and concern, that God would put on display his divine power. Maybe that's lifting the virus. Maybe that's lifting the disease. That would be great. That would be awesome. Or maybe it's in the midst of that, in the wake of all those things, that God highlights himself, that God highlights his divinity as the person of Christ in doing a miraculous work in our hearts and in our lives, in casting out fear. And that's what I would be praying for. But I see such a, such a wonderful grace here that's offered. And so they respond to Jesus, or they did respond, or Peter specifically responds to Jesus here. And this is where it gets pretty interesting for me. And Peter answered him after Jesus says, don't be afraid. Peter answers him. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to get out of the boat and come to you. Now, of course, you understand this would mean that Peter has to get out on the water, which is still tumultuous, which is still volatile. And how do I know that? How do I know that when Jesus arrived that the, the, the waters didn't immediately calm? Because it says at the end of this text, it says that when Jesus got into the boat, that's when the winds and that's when the waves became calm. So during all of this transaction, you've got winds and waves, the same waves that are beating on the boat. You have these winds that are crashing down all around. And yet Peter says, hey, if it's you, call me out into the water that I may come to you. Ask me to do that or call me to do that and I will do that. Listen, I don't think that Peter's questioning whether or not this is Jesus. I don't think he's raising this question saying, I don't know if this is um, Jesus or not. I don't think that's the, the question here. I think he's trusting that it's Christ. And I'll explain why I mean that in a minute. But I just want to go ahead and say, this is not a situation where he's doubting. This is not a situation as has been a pattern in Peter's life where he's where he's denying that this is the Christ. This is, or he's denying Jesus. This is a situation where he's saying, because you can, because it's you, express your great divinity and call me out. Because Peter's realizing in this moment that it's better to be with Christ where he is than even in what, even in what seems to be a safe context. I know the boat is getting beaten down by the waves, but you would think in a situation like that, it's safer to be in a boat that's still floating than it is to go out and try to get in the water where all the waves are volatilely crashing down on one another. And keep in mind, when they saw, when they saw him and they said, oh, is this a ghost? They think it's important to understand that these aren't 21st century men. You and I have been raised in a culture that is largely driven by Hollywood. A lot of our worldview is shaped, unfortunately, by Hollywood. That's how we walk away with this idea that, that men and women who die in Christ become angels when the Scripture says nothing about that. Um, rather, it says exactly the opposite, that we become much more or higher than the angels, and they're subjected to us in that sense. You know, we get ideas like that. You know, we get desensitized because of all the horror movies that come out of that come out of Hollywood. And so, you know, we have shows where people are trying to track down paranormal activity, where they're walking into, you know, basically the lion's den. And when I say lion, I mean Satan, who's a lion looking for someone to devour. So money is to be made off of all these things. Money is to be made off of the reality of the supernatural. And it's wicked and it's evil. You know, but we become desensitized, and so maybe you and I might see something, and maybe we wouldn't freak out so much because we've been exposed to this kind of stuff. 
but not for these men. That's why they're scared, because this is not normal for them to see. And so Jesus tells them to not be afraid. And then Peter says, hey, if it's you, call me to come out of the boat. Call me to get on the water and to walk to you. Let me ask you this. Who would dare have the audacity to come to these men who have labored for 9 to 12 hours? Who are fearful? And who would have the audacity, the authority, and the power to say, don't be afraid? Look at what's happening around you. How can you not be afraid? So who would have the audacity to say, don't be afraid? Listen, as a father, as a father, there have been moments when I, where I've been able to come to my children who are feel, fearful, whether it's during a thunderstorm or, or inclement weather or something's happening in their life or, 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 or whatever it may be. You know, we're planning a vacation to get on a cruise. I don't know if that'll happen now. And our kids, for a short season of that planning process, were scared because they didn't want to sink in the ocean. And I'm able to come to them and say, hey, don't be afraid. And as a father, I like that. I like to come and comfort my children and say, don't be afraid. As a husband, I like to be able to comfort my wife and say, hey, honey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But my comfort has limitations because I'm not God. I can't say to the winds and to the waves, be still. I don't have that authority. I can't say to my wife and to my children, don't worry. You won't get sick. I can't do that because I don't command bacteria, because I don't command viruses, because I don't command pandemics and epidemics. I don't have that authority. So who has the audacity to say to these men, don't be afraid because it's I? Jesus, the maker, the creator, the sustainer, the commander of all things. That's who has the authority to do these things. And Peter recognizes that. And that's why he responded by saying, call me to come out of the boat, to get on the water and to come to you. I don't know about you, that's not how I would have handled that situation. For me, I would have been like, hey, you know, Jesus, you've come this far, we're in the boat, why don't you come on? Why don't you make your way over here, get in the boat, we can have a chat at that point, that would be great. Jesus didn't initiate the whole getting out in the water situation. Peter did that. Now, I think it's interesting because Peter, Peter catches a lot of heat. He catches a lot of flack from pastors all the time. I've been guilty of that. I've heard it said many times, Peter suffered from an illness. It was called foot-in-mouth disease. And I've heard that, and I get that, you know, because Peter denied Christ. Peter cut off the centurion's ear in the garden because Peter was at the transfiguration, and he opens his mouth, and God the Father rebukes him and basically says, shut your mouth, listen to Jesus this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And you see this happening in Peter's life. He denies Christ. Jesus even says to Peter at one point, get behind me, Satan. So, so Peter has kind of earned a little bit of the, of the flack that he gets. But, but notice this, in this moment, in this moment right here, Peter shines. Because Peter gets out of the boat. Peter gets out of the boat. That's the way that he went about this. Peter jumps out of the boat and he makes his way over to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus empowers us to do things outside of our scope of ability. That's the power of Jesus. On his own, Peter would not have had such faith. On his own, Peter would not have had such courage. But when Christ made himself known, Peter's faith in that moment skyrocketed. And Peter said, call me out, and I'll come. And that's exactly what Jesus did. I think there's a few things to learn about faith in this text. So I want to take just a moment to talk through some aspects or elements of faith with regards to where we are in this text. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said this, come. You come. And Peter did. Peter expressed the faith that he did in the moment because it was Jesus on the water. Something that you need to understand about this text. When you read it in the English, you see that it says, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out on the water. The sentiment there, if you study the language, and I checked this with several sources for it to be true or just to make sure. When Peter says, Lord, if it's you, how that's actually meant is this, Lord, 
because it's you. Lord, since it is you. So Peter is not asking the question, is that really you? And testing God by saying, if it's really you, why don't you ask me to come on the water? No, no. Peter says this to Jesus because he knows it's the Christ. And he knows that Christ has the power to do what only Christ can do. And that's to not only call him to the water, but to cause him to walk on the water all the way to Jesus. So Peter expressed this faith that he did in the moment because it was Jesus on the water. So here's something to understand about faith. There is an undeniable relationship between our faith and the presence of Christ. It's undeniable. There is a relationship between our faith and the presence of Christ. Peter at this moment was dialed in to Jesus. He was laser focused on Christ. You think about it. Christ arrives out of the darkness. He's walking on the water. Peter says, because it's you. I recognize that it's you. I know that it's you. So call me to come out here and do what only you can do and cause me to walk on the water. And Jesus said to come. So what does Peter do? He gets out of the boat. He gets out of the boat and he doesn't start to sink immediately. Peter begins walking to Jesus. But something very interesting and important that we have to understand in this text is this. As long as Peter and his eyes were fixed on Christ, Peter was walking on water. He was dialed in to Jesus because you had the presence of Christ. And therefore, in that moment, because Christ was there, Christ was present in all his power and all his divinity, and Peter's faith for a moment skyrocketed. And all of those things that brought him fear, all of those things that gave him great reason for concern and, and, and calls for worry, they all disappeared in the shadow of Christ because Peter was dialed into who Jesus was. Peter was dialed in to the person of Christ, dialed into his promises in that moment, dialed into the miracles that he had witnessed. He was dialed into Jesus. And so the elements didn't matter to Peter at that moment. It didn't matter. He was dialed into Jesus. Do you see how this applies to you and to me? Do you start to make that connection? If not, let me help you make that connection. What is different between Peter 2,000 years ago, walking on water because of Christ, and you and I, with all of the issues around us that are vying for our attention, that are laboring for our focus, what's the difference in what we're going through now and Peter stepping out of the boat? There's essentially no difference other than time. You might say, well, well, well Peter was looking directly at Christ. I would say it doesn't matter if you can see Christ visibly with your eyes. It matters that Christ is present. And the scripture makes it very clear that Christ is always present with us. Not only always present with us, but specifically present in us. Listen to what these scriptures teach us. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Do you realize about yourself that Christ is in you? Galatians 2.20, you probably know it well. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but what? But Christ who lives within me. And there are many scriptures that say the same thing, that Christ is in us. So we can't say that Christ is not present. We can't say that it was so much different for Peter because he could actually see Jesus. We see Jesus in the promises of his word. And we know that through those promises that I just read to you that Christ is present within us. So that gives us just the same reason for our faith to skyrocket. It gives us the same reason to have courage and to cast out fear. But here's the issue. If your faith is waning right now, if your faith is waning, might I suggest that you should press into Christ push a little harder, focus a little more intently, remove the distractions, because here's what happens, the winds and the waves serves as a distraction for Peter, they're vying for his attention, they're vying for his loyalty, they're trying to distract him, 
The things that are around us now, viruses, people dying, all of these things that are hard to talk about, but they serve metaphorically as those winds and as those waves that are trying to take our attention and trying to take our focus off of Christ. We have to stay laser focused and dialed in to Jesus. Because when we experience his presence, all other dangers are lost in the shadows of Christ. So this is important truth regarding faith that we must cling to. Another truth in this text about faith is this. Faith produces works. We know this. Let me say it this way. Genuine God-abiding faith is authenticated by the works it produces. Listen to this text, James 2, 14, 17, 24, and 26. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Those are four verses taken from taken from James chapter 2 that express the same sentiment, and that is that works are the byproduct of a faith that is within us. Specifically, there is a direct correlation between our works and the level of our faith. Such is as exemplified in Peter getting out of the boat. What would make a man abandon what seems to be all logic and reason? What would make a man or a woman abandon what seems to be comfort and safety to go to something that seems perilous that seems sketchy or questionable like William Carey why go to India and serve there for 10 years without seeing a convert like 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 Jim Elliot who 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 died trying to minister to the to an in, to a, to a cannibalistic Indian to a cannibalistic tribe in Ecuador and then to have his wife go to that same tribe and spend the rest of her life ministering to the people specifically to the man that took the wife of her husband. What would cause someone to do something like that? It seems irrational. It seems illogical. But here's the issue. If God is calling us to faith, if he's calling us to action, and that faith and that call means to abandon where we are now, it means that the best place for us to be is right where God calls us to be. Most people say that as just being in the center of God's will. And I would agree with that. The issue is that it was best for Peter to get out of the boat and be on the water where Jesus was than for Peter to remain in the boat. The same is true for you and for I. God is calling us to faith. He's calling us to action, not to throw caution to the wind, not to throw out wisdom and sound reason and thought, but he's calling us to faith. He's calling us away from fear. And that's an important truth that we must come to terms with that I think is found in this text. It's always better It's always a better place to be if God has called you to be there regardless of where you have come from. Peter was called into the water by Christ. Away from what we would seem or think to be safety, away from his friends, he says, you come out here and be with Christ. So let me ask you this question. If when we're we're dialed into the presence of Christ... If when we're dialed in and then it causes our faith to skyrocket, what do you think happens when our focus is taken off of Christ? Our faith weakens. Our faith becomes little. And that's exactly what happens in this text. Peter's out on the water and he's approaching Jesus. And then it says that Peter noticed the waves. He noticed the wind off to his side. And Peter eventually took his eyes off of Christ and he looked over and all he could see was the violence of the elements in nature. He couldn't get past that. He couldn't couldn't get back in his lane. He couldn't regain his traction. He couldn't regain his focus on Christ. So what happened was he began to sink. He began to sink. And I think the same thing happens to us. With all of this that's going on, fighting and laboring for our affections, for our attention, for our focus, or to take our focus off of Christ, if we succumb to that, then we will also succumb to fear. If we succumb to fear, then we begin to sink. We begin to sink. And that's not a place that you nor I need to be. But when 
we stay focused on Jesus, it seems to cast out fear. It seems we can stay on top of the water. You see, for Peter and for us, sometimes we have strong enough faith to get out of the boat, but we don't have enough faith to stay on top of the water. And to do that, we have to stay fixed on Christ. And if we're fixed on Christ, He empowers us. We don't dig deep from within and, and find a way to pick ourselves up and to find our way to be strength in and of ourselves, but we look from without. We look from the outside and we find Christ and He empowers us and He strengthens us and He causes us to float. But Peter turned his eyes off of Christ and he became overwhelmed by the dangers that surrounded him. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. Look, we're fearful of the uncertainty. We are fearful of getting sick or our loved ones of getting sick. We don't want to be a statistic. You know, we're uncomfortable because we're used to living a certain way. We have certain privileges and those things are uh, not what we can express or enjoy right now. Um, and I know these are first world problems, but, but we, we, we still are in a, in a form of suffering and hopefully it doesn't get any worse. But here's the issue. If the answer to your fear is not the deliverance from harm's way. In other words, if you're, if you're putting all your eggs in the basket of, well, well, well God's just going to remove us from harm's way, but he doesn't, then what is the answer? I think the answer is this. If God doesn't remove us from hard, harm's way, then our response is to stay dialed in to Jesus, stay pressed in and focused on Christ. Because otherwise we begin to sink. Peter panicked. When Peter began sinking, he panicked. The scripture says that the Lord called him out, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And then it says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, and he brought him up out of the water. Peter panicked, and Jesus was faithful to rescue him. I find that this particular section of the text teaches us a few things very quickly. One, it teaches us as believers that we have hope in Christ's ability to, to rescue us. If he desires it, he can do it. He's not surprised by any of this. He's not concerned by any of this as though it has stricken him with fear, as though he's not sovereign over it. I'm not saying he's not concerned for his people, but I'm saying it doesn't scare him. Why? Because he created all things and he commands all things. That's what happens when all of creation is a footstool under your feet, such as it is for Christ. But I believe this teaches us something very specific about Christ and his relationship to his church. Even in our doubting and in our, in our fears, he is able, willing, and quite often does deliver us from harm's way. So there's the hope that he can and might do that. And we pray for that. We pray for God's mercy. And that may happen, and that's great. But I think we also, I think another issue is this. I don't know about you, but I feel that I can identify with Peter uh, more than anyone in this text. And this gives me hope. This is what I see in this text, that, that Peter, although he blundered many, many times, that the Lord was so faithful to reach down and to pick him up from sinking. And I see in that a gracious Savior who, when I am distracted by my fears, when I am pulled or torn away from Christ by my fears or by my flesh, that Jesus is, is good and gracious to reach down and rescue me from my sinking, rescue me from my drowning. And I find that to be so very comforting. And I find that to be uh, what could be a clear teaching in this text as, as I apply these things. But I think this text teaches even more than that. I think there's this application for the believer, but I think there's application for the non-believer. When I say non-believer, I mean those who openly reject Christ, who openly reject the gospel. I mean those who have succumbed to easy believism, and they think that, well, I'm good to go because Jesus did this for me, but their life in no way is representative of any kind of significant change that is supernatural and monumental, by the way. I'm talking to you. And here's how this text unfolds for someone who's not in Christ. Here's how that would apply. 
is for the unbeliever, there's no one to rescue you. For the unbeliever, there's nowhere else to focus your attention but on calamity, but on fear, but on disaster, destruction, evil. There's no hope in looking to Jesus. There's no dialing in to Christ and Him rescuing you unless, unless, unless it is you subjecting yourself to the sovereign lordship of Christ, unless it is you repenting of sin and confessing Christ to be your Savior, to be your Lord, to begging Him to rescue you from darkness and to bring you out of that darkness and into the kingdom of His beloved Son, where there is redemption, where there is pardon. You see, it is appointed to every man to die and to face the judgment. No one's escaping this issue. Paul says death is the last enemy. No one's getting away from that, and that's clear. What we need to understand is that we live in a broken, fallen world, and we're, 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 we're byproducts of that brokenness. We've all inherited guilt that was shared unto us, and we have a guilt before God. We're born with that, and there's no way to escape that. It's a part of the curse. It's a part of the fall. It's very, very clear. You have to completely deny and ignore the text to come up with any kind of other or alternative uh, explanation to these things. We're broken. We see it all around us. We're broken. We do evil things. Christians, non-Christians, we do all these things. And we're broken because there's a fall. But God and His mercy made it so that we don't have to spend an eternity separated and suffering under the divine wrath and justice of God, but that He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus as a substitute, as a substitutionary atonement, that He might take our place in order that we can stand before God having been covered by the goodness, by the righteousness of Christ, not resting on our own, for we don't have our own. There's no one good, no, not one. There's no one righteous. So my plea for you who are not in Christ, my plea for you that might be tuning in today or right now that say, I'm not a believer, but I'm just giving this a shot. I'm just seeing what this is all about because quite frankly, you've realized that there's no other place for you to turn. Turn to Christ. Search for Him in the Scriptures. Read the book of John. Read 1 John. Read, read Romans 8, 9, 10, 11. Read these things and find peace in Christ, because that's the only place where peace can be found. So I want to close with this application. When the disciples, when Peter and Jesus got back into the boat, it said that the winds and the waves were calm at that point. So I want to encourage you with these things, because there's just something here in this last little section that is encouraging to me, and I want to encourage it to you. I want to use it to encourage you. Make sure that your faith is rooted in and driven by the gospel. Make sure that the things that you're looking at are through the lenses of the gospel, that you're considering your identity in Christ, that you're considering who you are, the, the, the promises of God for you, and that you apply those to this situation. For the believer, simply put, when we are weary and heavy laden, that He will give us rest. For the believer, it says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. For the believer, it says that Christ is in you. For the believer, it says when you think on things that are pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, etc., the peace of God will fill you. These are promises that we claim because of the gospel of Christ. So that's the lenses or the filter through which we operate in all of life, but specifically in this particular season have a gospel driven faith but also this labor just to stay dialed into jesus fight for joy fight for focus fight for allegiance and fill your days with the things that stir your affections for christ if i may borrow a quote from matt chandler fill your days with the things that stir your affections for for christ if now is not the time then when is it it has to be now. And finally, be sure that your response to every day that God graciously gives us, be sure that your response is worship. Because in the text it says when Jesus and Peter got into the boat and the waves and the winds were calm, that they worshipped Jesus. And they said, truly, 
You are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, truly, you have given us Jesus. We believe Jesus to be the second person of the Godhead. We believe that Jesus is fully divine and has absolute authority. We believe that Jesus has created all things, that he is sovereign over all things. We believe that he's equal to you. We believe that he's equal to the Holy Spirit. We believe that you exist as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, exacting and carrying out all things perfectly as a perfect king, as a perfect God. And so we believe that even something like this, even something like a worldwide pandemic, Lord, that you intend for good. Father, that you are sovereign over and that you have care for us in the midst of it. Jesus, we confess that truly you are the Son of God. We ask that during this season and forevermore that we might be dialed into you that all the things that compete for our attention and our affections, all the dangers that surround us would fade away in the shadow of who you are as our Christ, as our Messiah, as our King. In Jesus' name.